0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chuck McKenney joins the show to talk about the Sixers and how the Celtics limited Joel Embiid. And then we get into a big conversation about Gordon Hayward's contract and some flimsy trade rumors out there. After the podcast was over, we recorded basically for 20 more minutes about Gordon Hayward's contract and what he might do. That's a bonus podcast that you can only get on RedsArmy.com. So after you listen to this on Monday morning, go to RedsArmy.com for the 20-plus minute conversation that Chuck and I had about Gordon Hayward, his contract, and his future. So stick around for that. But first, here's the Monday Locked On Celtics podcast.
1: Jay's back with the vengeance, all the real Celtics fans in attendance, Ooh. this the truth like 34, yeah. it's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars
0: Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Got Chuck McKenney from RedsArmy.com with me. I'm John Corrales of Live. Here to talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics' 116-95 win over the Philadelphia 76ers, which was a lot easier, Chuck, than I thought it was going to go, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was prepared to be really pissed off and angry tonight, right? But
0: um, <laughs> Which is your default. Jalen Brown which is you're always preparing it. for He's that, like,
2: right? He, he's just not going to let me um, be, be angry about this team. So, um, and I agree with you. I just, uh, you know, watching that game, it, it just, um, I kept anticipating a Philly sort of, a stronger Philly run um, never really came. And, um, you know, Philly is just, they have they have issues, right? And, and they don't, and they remind me a little bit of last year's Celtics where it's like, you know, I think, you might be in denial if if you think they're gonna figure it out. You know, of course, I want to be quick to write them off, but it's like, I don't know, man. It's always something with them. So um, they couldn't make the push, and then, and the Celtics just, you know, I mean, they were giving us highlight dunks. It was freaking,
0: it was insane.
2: Tatum Wanamaker was taunting. It was just like <laughs> was nice.
0: hey, look, party. when you're Brad Wanamaker and you dunk, not not even really on Joel Embiid, but at a passing by Joel Embiid like that's good enough he's never dunked in the NBA so you should get to stare down Joel Embiid in that situation without getting a tech
2: absolutely yeah i didn't even think it was excessive either no i, mean, but I, I was watching with my, you know with my girlfriend and she's like in the moment she's like Why is he going so slow? And I think we all had that reaction. (laughs) Yes. What are you doing? Are you lulling him in? And and she's looking at me for an answer. And I'm like, I don't freaking (laughs) know. But it all turned out great. (laughs) Uh,
0: So she basically is like all of us podcast listeners when you're on the show. Turning to you over an answer that you don't know. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. uh, No, uh, shout out. I got a shout out, Wanamaker. 15 points against Philly. Uh, on his daughter's birthday and remember when the he's from Philly this when the Celtics went to Philly and kemba missed that game as well he didn't play and now he had DNP in Philly at his hometown like that's oh right like yeah. so I mean that was so shout out to Brad Wanamaker above all else that's like a big performance and especially on his daughter's birthday but okay so the game started with Jason Tatum. Going like nuts in the first quarter. That first quarter for Tatum was uh, all star. When you saw the way he was playing, like I was looking at the 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 way he was scoring, even in the second quarter, he a confident attacking. Uh, he had eleven points in the first quarter. He had the dunk came in the that the dunk on Hortford came in the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, he did all of that in like seven minutes. Uh, it was. Watching him play that first quarter, I thought, this, this is the all-star that we're watching. He would, The way he was playing was just like, damn, this is the type of player that we've been talking about all this time. And you start to look at all of the things that we've talked about throughout the course of the season with Jason Tatum. Oh, he can't finish his layups. Well, now he's shooting like 60% on drives. And all of the other things that he was working on. I feel like over the course of the season he's like all right, let me try this. All right, let, let me now I got to react this way. And it's been a slow progression of putting it together and now we're starting to see Jason Tatum take the best of all of those things that he was trying and incorporate them into a more mature game.
2: Yeah, man. And it, and, it, and it really felt like like he, he said I got this. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's a role we've seen Kemba do a little bit this year in certain spots, um, where it's almost like he's, he, like you said, it's like big game. We know we're down, we're, we're down, uh, Kemba. We want to start strong. I got this. And he just looked so comfortable and he, it just looked like he was doing what he wanted. And I was like, oh my God, this is what it's going to be like for the next six, <laughs> seven years with this kid. Yeah. Right. Like the confidence and the dominance, um, and this, this we have no doubt, right? And because, you know, obviously there have been ups and downs, like like you went through, he's had weaknesses and stuff. But that's, it really was like, oh boy, I was giddy. You know, that was, it was just, it was just so good to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? He had two fouls in the first 224 of the game. Brad kept them in and that's when he started to do his damage. So he didn't get passive after getting into early foul trouble. He turned it up. And which is not something you usually see. Uh, and when I saw him start to come down after his second foul, I thought, "All right, let me see if this kid just starts jacking from three. And not at all. He he was aggressive the whole time, and and really uh, didn't he didn't even get a foul the rest of the game. So uh, it was a, a very nice adjustment. And then, of course, obviously. You've got Jalen Brown who had the big game. Uh, yeah. He kind of picked it up after um, after Tatum. Like Tatum had the big first quarter, but Jalen had like a seven point first quarter, and then Jalen just kept it going with 32 points on 13 of 23 shooting. And here's the most impressive thing, which is weird to say, one of ten from three. So he scored 32 points without hitting a ton of threes. Like he did it all on attacking and ones. Getting into his spots, hitting pull-up jumpers uh, in open spots when you know you're not gonna challenge Embiid and and try to get him going by letting him block a bunch of shots. Like he just pulled up from the middle of the lane, and those shots were falling.
2: Yeah, man, he, he's really like to think of how far he's come since he came in the league, right? Obviously, some of his major weaknesses were shooting. Right. And clearly he's mm-hmm. worked hard to improve that. And, you know, his ability to, to kind of dribble drive or, 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 create off the dribble was never really a strong suit of his either. Um, I think we'd always poke fun at his handles. Um, but watching him last night, and we've seen the progression this, this year, but that move that he put on Tybull. Yes. Um, was just unbelievable. But a big part of the, you know, it was flashy with the dribble. But what really sets that up is, You know, he gets into the paint, and he's really become almost automatic with that like 15 foot fadeaway or that 14 foot fadeaway. Um, So Tybalt had to kind of respect that, and and after all that dribbling, Brown threw him like one little head, slight head fake. Tybalt had to bite on that, and then you know Brown just swooped in. It was just a masterful sort of display. Um, But it's not, you know, it's more than just one move. It's 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 how it's the progression. Right, and I love what you know. I'm not here to tout mid mid range games, but 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 it's similar to Hayward. You know, I want you to get to the rim, but I don't want you to get there and just have the ball be knocked out of your hands or be going into two guys. There's nothing wrong with pulling up and dropping a sweet little fadeaway up. It's become automatic for him, and it's so man, it's so pretty to watch. Like I'm you go back and forth with Tatum and Brown. I'm like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. Right, you're like. It's heavenly. And I don't want to be gushing about these guys, but holy
0: shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Right? Um, and so Marcus Smart, after the game, was asked about how much Jalen has added to his game. And he said, "It's you know, it's incredible. And this is, this is the line that I, I was really struck by. He said, from his rookie year when we were telling him to slow down in transition to now when we tell him, go do your thing. Like, yeah. that's where... All of the things that we've been saying over the years about Jalen Brown, like this dude just gets the ball and flies down the court and just launches himself into people and it just wasn't working and now finally he's shown how to master change of speed, how to master his pace uh. and that is always been the most important thing. It's not about being faster than everybody. It's about running at a certain speed and then having another gear to kick it into or to slow it down to so you can get a defender off off balance. And more than anything and, and probably coincidentally with his ability to, you know, improve his ball handling, that change of pace, that change of speed, that change of direction, that's the thing you're talking about with Tybal, where he just you gotta respect it, and then he just kinda slows down and then pow, boom, he got you know, as soon as he's got you leaning forward, he's by you. And if if this stuff can continue, now we're looking at the the gushing of <laughs> but you know, to have these guys do it against Philly, you know, shorthanded, whatever Philly's going through. Like clearly a very bad performance from Philly. You can credit some of it to the Celtics defense, but you can also credit some of it to like Philly just playing like shit, but it doesn't matter. The Celtics needed a win against Philly. And those two guys just showed off every possible good skill that we've been waiting for them to show off and just tantalizing for the future.
2: Yeah and and they could have gone in and pressed a bit right you know Walker's going to be out and you want that win but it never felt like it never felt like that i mean he yes he was one for 10 um from 3 but it it just had a uh, had a flow to it all um so they could have pressed and and you know Hayward he he kind of fell off a bit last night he had a rough shooting night um and he's been he's been really solid but but seriously they just um they didn't press they did what they needed to do to get this win, which was a spectacular play. Um, and it's still – it's not just one area. It's its um, – they're both rebounding. The defense is obviously yep. spectacular, right? Just watching – still watching Tatum anticipate pa- passing lanes and and getting his hands on balls. Um, you know, Brown's always been a step ahead there. It's just all of this stuff coming together, you know? Yeah. Um, Man, I need a
0: towel. <laughs> Let's take a break right? <laughs> then. Let's just take a break. Cool off a little bit. Talk about how the Celtics defended Joel Embiid next here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast.
1: NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On
0: Podcast Network. It's as hard as it is to like pull back on the gushing, uh, it's very nice to see that performance. But another good aspect of this uh, win over Philly was what they did to Joel Embiid. And I think when I was talking a little bit about some of it was what the Celtics did and some of it was what the Sixers did, I think a lot of that is centered around Joel Embiid who uh, in this game, had he made only one basket. He scored 11 points, five rebounds, one assist, four turnovers. Uh, and it was a minus 25 on the night. He hit his first basket like 10 seconds into the game. This, they got the tip. Al Horford found him with deep position on Daniel Tice. He got an easy layup, and I thought, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be a, a long night. And then... Nothing. In fact, the next time down, he took a three. And I I wrote down, why isn't B pulling from three right away? Like he got the ball and early in the shot clock pulled a three. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You've got a guy you destroy in the post that you've already scored on in the the paint. What are you doing? So uh, I guess part of it is thank you, Joel Embiid, for for playing this way. Uh, yeah. But part of it is also the Celtics. Once Embiid did try to get aggressive and, and did try to get the ball in the post, they threw double teams at him. They they threw different looks at him. They prevented the ball from getting in there in the first place with a lot of pressure on the ball. Uh, they, they did a good job overall on Embiid.
2: Yeah, right. So that's really what they did a lot of uh, different things. Um, and it was most effective. Uh, so, and maybe that contributed to, um, Embiid being out of rhythm. Um, but, but like you were saying about you know, his, his, his just, um, his willingness to shoot threes early either in games or in shot, shot clock situations. Um, I, until he figures out that he, like he's so talented. He's such a force down low. You know, why can't he, Commit to establishing that part of the game of his of his game early in games and force teams to react to him because um, he's going to get open shots for his teammates and then um, he'll get defenses spinning and then he can you know he can he can find spots where he's going to get open looks on the perimeter but I don't know if this just goes to Philly in general being. You know, a combination of not the right pieces. But when you see him doing that, you're like, yes, I'll take it. Yeah. I Man, I know he can, can take. Atta- he can occasionally make those. But you're going to shoot him early in the shot clock, and you're not going to be pounding us or getting us in foul trouble. You know, it's, you know, on a night where you know we don't have Cantor. Not that he's uh, any sort of lockdown presence on Embiid, but he's still a big guy that we that we we, we would use against him. And they like, he just didn't seem interested in trying to do that no, you know, and that's just the knock on him. And I'm, you know, there's a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer today that I'm reading and and they're asking these same sorts of questions where he looked disinterested. um, He seemed to be preoccupied with his hand at moments or his finger. You know, he had that, he had a bandage. Like it just didn't seem like he was completely engaged. So, you know, some of it's for what, for what, because of what the Celtics did, but he didn't exactly respond with a lot of toughness.
0: No, right, not at all, um, and that's—I mean—that—that's that's been the knock on him, and—and and I don't want to sound like the—you uh, know—the TNT crew, but he's one of the few guys in the league where you do want to post him up because he is such a mismatch. There's—I uh, agree with you know Rick Carlisle when he's talking about—you uh, know—post up isn't the most efficient thing that you can do. I mean, you, you do it sometimes when you have to and you do it sometimes when the matchup it makes makes sense but with Embiid you do it often and you do it with the mismatch again daniel tice was when we talk about the center position and needing to upgrade it one line you always throw out there is and embiid always destroys daniel tice and yeah. that's that's the fear that's why these stupid Andre Drummond rumors persist that we're going to talk about later. So I don't, I don't get what's happening. Although I, I do think I get what's happening uh, in that. I think that part of what's happening in Philly is it's just, it's become untenable. Like they've tried for a few years and this combination of Simmons and, and Embiid, it's, it's not, it's not working. And I think that's I think that's what's it's coming to in Philly. Like I think everybody's starting to realize like uh, this this fit it just we try to force it a little bit, try to put some shooters around there. We try different combinations, and it's is just not working. And I think Embiid, in particular, lets things get to him. Like he can be he's he's the first guy to say rent free. Like but yeah, I think that also is an indicator like he's projecting a little bit that he, it's very easy when he, when things are going well, he can, he can talk a lot of trash, but when they're not, he does not respond. Well, he's not a guy that pulls, pulls back into things when he's, when he seems out of it. And then you throw in the foul trouble that he got into in the second quarter. Then you throw in, obviously the injury, like that was just a recipe for disaster. You could see it two minutes into the game.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the box too quickly, right? And I mean, a guy like Tobias Harris is only—he you know, he took two, two three pointers, uh, four of twelve. Like they don't have—they just don't have the right spacing, and it's a broken record. Um, and I, I don't know what they're going to do to fix it. Yeah, um, they're kind of linked to just about every shooter out there. Um, but you know, I don't want to—I don't want to take away from the Celtics, right? A lot of what we did, and and you got to give Brad credit because we're you know, um. I think they, he he had the right approach, and not that it's any sort of like uh, he, uh, had like this uh, awakening, but you got to throw different things. Like when you don't have an when you're at an obvious mismatch, you got to do different things. And the Celtics players responded. We saw saw some some good stretches from Ogilvy. Um There was that sequence towards the end of the game where Grant Williams was just busting his ass, yeah, getting offensive rebounds, yeah. Um and like you talked about with Wanamaker, so there were guys stepping up doing doing what they had to do. So you know, there's a lot of dysfunction there. You got to give you got to give the Celtics and, and the the approach that they took in this game and how the role players responded uh, a lot of credit too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Celtics beat Philadelphia. They avoid getting swept in uh, the season series there. So it, I mean, it was nice for the confidence, but you know. Whatever. If if they do get to tied with the Celtics, uh, then the, they'll they hold the tiebreaker. The question now is, do they do they find themselves tied with the Celtics at some point, or is this going to fall completely out of out of control for them? They Philly is currently sixth. The Celtics are currently third. They're tied with Miami, but they hold the tiebreaker, and they are three games ahead of Philadelphia. Meanwhile, Philly. They play Miami and Milwaukee next. So if they don't get their, their shit together, that could go wrong in a hurry. And I, I don't know that they're going to fall out of the sixth seed. But, you know, there's there's a strong possibility that they have written themselves uh, or, or dug themselves too big a hole. And we'll see what happens uh, if, if they can get back to home court advantage or, or what coming up. Uh, come playoff time.
2: All right. Yeah, like you said, the the bottom is probably that sixth seed, right? But still, that's that's a catastrophic failure for them. Sure. Um, and for me the question is with taking a quick look at the seeding is are the Raptors ever going to lose again? Like what the <laughs> hell? I mean, I feel like the Celtics they should be the second seed in the East, but Toronto just, you know, losing bodies left and right and still is just on this ridiculous run. So, hopefully they can they come back down a bit. I still think the Celtics can be can be the second best team in the Eastern Conference.
0: Probably, I mean, eleven wins in a row. I mean, that's crazy. When yeah, you, you look at the, it's Milwaukee and Toronto right now with, that, that are hot, and then everyone else is just kind of sort of doing okay. Celtics, and Miami, uh, six and four in their last ten. The Pacers are seven and three in their in their last ten. Uh, even the Sixers are six and four in their last ten, but they you know they they've been scuffling along. But we'll see we'll see how how it, this all shakes out. All right, up next trade deadline stuff, another stupid Andre Drummond rumor, and uh, Gordon Hayward talking a little bit about his contract uh, coming up next here on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. As you might have just heard, there are a lot of great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Celtics is a great way for your local business To reach passionate Celtics fans just like you, unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener. Locked On podcast listeners. If your company wants to connect with Celtics fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. So text the word Advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you achieve your goals with Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We are looking forward to hearing from you. The Boston Celtics are looking forward to the uh end of all of these rumors i'm sure <laughs> uh but let's start let's start with uh gordon hayward because a lot of this stuff hinges on him uh gordon hayward telling uh a couple of outlets and he talked to brian robb talked to uh steve Volpet of the herald uh basically saying that he hasn't really considered what his what he's going to do with his trade uh i mean i'm sorry his uh his player option on his contract. He has a thirty-four million dollar player option for next season. Uh, I personally, Chuck, I, I would be surprised. And I've said so on this podcast before, but I'm happy to re- reiterate. I would be surprised if he opts out of this deal to do anything besides re sign with the Celtics long term.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. He doesn't seem like he's going to be chasing um uh he just doesn't seem unhappy enough here to, to, to do that. Everything, uh, you know, with the teams that have cap space right this year are not teams he wants to go play for. You'd think he, at this point in his career, he wants to be on uh, the team that gives him the best chance to win a championship. Uh, none of those teams with salary cap space are, are even remotely close. So you're right. It, it kind of makes sense. Um, now he could just you know, let the contract take its course and then become a free agent after next season. Yeah. Right. And then take his chances with, you know, um, that's a, there are bigger names in that free agent class, right? Is that, um,
0: that's the Giannis year. That's, um, I forget who else is in there, but that's big names. There, there there are a lot of big names, names right? So,
2: you know, the guy like Hayward could just kind of, he's going to be on the periphery waiting to see where all these other players fall. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, when I watch him play, like we like we've seen over the last you know two weeks or whatever, when he's when he's that good, um, and I think that that he can sustain that sort of play, um, you know, I want him here. I, wa- I want him here. I think, um, and and part of that is seeing that Tice can be a, a decent enough presence at center, and just thinking that the Celtics can maybe find another center at some point. Um, to kind of plug into this, into this rotation. Um, I want, you know, I like, I like the team with, with Hayward here. So I think for me, I, I'm hopeful that even if it's at the end of, um, next year, right, they could resign him to that long, you know, it's a longer term, shorter, shorter cast, cash scenario, right? I mean, would that still be an option if he played, you know, um, his contract out? Sure. Something that's four years, 20 million, or, or is that too low for a player of Hayward stature?
0: Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the market would be at that point, but yeah. I, I mean, it, I, they have his bird rights. They can, they can certainly, right. um, they, they can certainly do that. Um, so uh, if he, if he opts in and just plays it out, then he becomes a free agent in two years, um, or at the end of next season. So I don't know I, what he's not going to do is is opt out. He's just it, I would be shocked, and I know I, I might have said something similar with Al Horford, but at least <laughs> at, I I, I mis I, I misunderstood the impact of what last season was going to take on him. Um, right, right. So. He saw the room and he said, "Nope, I need to get out of here," because he he read the room and he said, "This isn't this isn't going to be how this goes for me. This I, I can't be with the, this mix." And I don't know if he thought Kyrie was sticking around or not, but whatever, you know, it worked out having Kemba here and and, and everything. That's whatever. That's in the past. It's done. Um, although I do wonder if he regrets it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, So, Hayward, like you said, the the teams that have cap space are all bad teams. He's not going to want to go to a bad team. I just don't think he wants that. So, either stick around, opt in, and see that play out, or opt out with the agreement in place with the Celtics to say, we're going to do four years at whatever money, and we're going to make sure that, you know, two, three years from now, you're paid. 20 something million dollars when you know you're not sure if that's going to be the case and and i I don't know that that's that's him to to kind of bet on himself like what's he's in he's in his early 30s now so um i i just who who, hayward hayward
2: well i thought he was 20 is he
0: 29 no he's 30 i want to say isn't he 30 I have to do a quick thing. Oh, side. he's almost 30. He turns 30 in March. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah so, it's be eight years. That's significant. <laughs> right, right, right. So, he's he's going to be 30 by the end of the season. So, yeah. you know, he's going to be 30. He turns 31 next season, which is still kind of in his prime, but, like, the end of his prime. Like, th- now we're looking at 32, 33, 34-year-old Hayward, and what's that guy going to get? So, I think... The Celtics have incentive to get him on a shorter, a shorter money longer term because I think he's going to be an important piece. And in whatever you think the number is, whatever they think the number is, I don't know, but to get him on multiple years at shorter money to reduce their tax bill when they're going to give Jason Tatum the max, like next. Next season, Jalen Brown kicks in, but then after that, Tatum is going to be in 21, 22. You're going to have Kemba at 36. You're going to have Jason Tatum on the first year of his max deal. You're going to have Jalen Brown at 25. Like you're going to have to figure something out. Uh, and and maybe that's just too much money to spend on four guys. And that might be what fuels the Celtics to say, hey, maybe we want to, we do want to move them. Maybe maybe we're going to look at a long term deal and say this is a guy that we could possibly move at the trade deadline. As much as he's important to us, we can, we can fill that somehow and, and turn that into something else, which is where the concept of other players now has come in. And we heard the report from Chris Sheridan, who I honestly put no stock in this, but the Celtics are reportedly via Chris Sheridan, who now writes for Forbes, uh, one of the suitors strongly interested in Andre Drummond, and he suggests he's not reporting, he suggests Gordon Hayward and Ennis Cantor for Andre Drummond and Derek Rose.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I'll say it for the, you know, 100th time. I have no interest in moving Hayward for Drummond. Um, like none. <laughs> no, zero. And even, even, you know, acknowledging, you know, had we even gotten, Whooped by Embiid last night. If he turned out a 42 and uh, 18 performance, I, I still don't think that that's that that type of move benefits benefits this roster. There's there's just I don't like Drummond's fit here. Um, he's too expensive. I'd, I'd rather Ainge um, you know pursue another uh, another big. It's just it just doesn't make sense for me. So like we talked about, it just seems like um the reporters just using kind of the Celtics um obvious you know the discussions around the Celtics uh lack of a kind of another big um to to really just fill out his story there's no there's no sorts of you know sources are telling me the Celtics are uh, engaging with um you know the Pistons so it's a rather thin report and i and i don't put much uh, much stock into it i would like to hear a little more traction about the celtics pursuing some sort of bench help um some yeah. you know some some type of shooter um i think would 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 be helpful um but but if that doesn't you know come to pass either um you know i still like to i still could have the perspective that we've had a lot of minor injuries in the first half and we've still been able to you know, pull off a 33 and 15 record, I believe is what it is. And I'd like to think that we're going to get progressively better. So, um, that could be the, that could be the logic too. Uh, and I'd be, you know, I'm ready to go into the playoffs with this group.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. There's no point in rehashing all of it because it's, it is what it is. Like I, I, I will say that when things are quietest around the Celtics, that's when I get m- m- my uh, most anxiety. Good point. You know, good point. Yeah. you know, like we haven't heard a damn thing about what Danny Ainge is doing, and it feels like this report about Hayward is just kind of somebody feeding information or or, or somebody like getting information that's like trying to light a fire under somebody. Like I don't think that I don't think it's legit that the Celtics are um, are looking into Drummond that that strongly, but. I don't know, man. It's it's been super, super quiet, and that's the thing that that gets me the most. So, we'll see. It's this week. Trade deadline is this week, so we'll see if any rumors come up. We'll be on top of it here on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. So, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just hit that subscribe button. However, you're listening to it now. And if you're a regular listener, go ahead and give us that five star rating and a good written review and share the podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network.
2: Rejecting the Screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov.
1: And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the Screen
2: hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday,